Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, we remain standing. Let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that as we think about the amazing truth of all that Jesus did on the cross for us, we would indeed be lost in wonder and love, amazed that we can be forgiven, even us. And may that grab us afresh or maybe for the first time tonight, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me encourage you to turn back to the reading that uh, Dan read for us just a little uh, while ago. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I think you'll find it helpful if you have the Bible open in front of you. As I spend just a few moments uh, going through uh, this uh, passage that we've had read, page 675 is the uh, Bible uh, page number. And uh, if you are here as a guest, uh, you're very welcome. We're thrilled you've come. Um, And uh, why have we chosen this uh, today? Well, because we're working through the book of Ecclesiastes. We have been uh, since uh, January, and uh, this is where we've arrived at today. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Eight days ago at uh, White Hart Lane, the football home of Tottenham Hotspur, during an FA Cup quarter-final match, uh, the Bolton player Fabrice Moamba collapsed of a heart attack. And were it not for the quick and expert medical attention he received on the pitch, he would have died. Now this week, the Tottenham defender, Benoe Asoekoto, who was also playing in that game, spoke of how Saturday's shocking incident reminded him of another game when his fellow Cameroonian, Mark Vivian Defoe, died in 2003 after collapsing also on a football pitch. Asoekoto said this, Saturday was one of those days that will stay with me forever. When I saw him lying on the pitch at White Hart Lane, I was scared, scared for him, scared for his family, his friends, and all those people who know him and who care about him. I was also scared because he was just like me. He, he is young, supposedly fit, an athlete who a few seconds ago was running up and down the same pitch as me. I had flashbacks of what had happened to my countryman, Mark Vivian Foey. You want to stop these thoughts, but the pictures keep coming in your head. And I must say, I was scared, scared as I wondered how it could all just end like that for a young man. It is very scary. Death is very scary. And as Beno Asso Ekoto says, when it comes so close and so suddenly to a young man, a young, fit, professional athlete, it is all the more scary. If it can happen to Fabrice Moamba, it can happen to anyone. Now, someone else who admits to being scared of death is Woody Allen, the American screenwriter, director, actor, comedian, author, and playwright. Also, uh, always the comedian, he, he, although he's scared of uh, death, he, he makes a joke of it. He famously said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. On another occasion, he quips, death doesn't really worry me that much. I'm not frightened about it. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But more seriously, Woody Allen said this, The fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. It's absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. Meaningless. Well, those of you who've been coming over these last weeks and looking at the book of Ecclesiastes will know that word. That is the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've been working through this book all year and uh, 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 we've seen again and again that the author has confronted us with our own mortality and how death ruins everything 
And how, as Woody Allen said, death renders everything meaningless. What is the point of all my efforts if at the end of the day I'm going to die? What is the point of it? We've heard that throughout the book. And again, here in chapter 9, as we draw near towards the end of the book, we read the same thing. Verse 2, all share a common destiny. Again, verse 3, the same destiny overtakes all. It's what George Bernard Shaw called the ultimate statistic, one in one die. It doesn't matter who we are, we all share a common destiny. See, verse 2, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not... As it is with a good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. Everyone will die. Uh, not that the Sun Life Assurance agree. Apparently they know a thing or two uh, that the rest of us don't. They sent me this letter a while back trying to sell me what they call their money-back plan. It says this, Dear Mr. Williams, You've no doubt been faced with other people's problems on countless occasions through your work. You have no idea, mate. (laughs) Anyway, it goes on. Yet, have you ever stopped to think uh, who would look after your family if anything happened to you? Well, I have, as a matter of fact, so I read on. That's why we at Membership Services Direct have taken the time to research the life insurance market on your behalf. How kind of them. We believe we've found an ideal way for you to protect those you love. It's called the Money Back Plan from Sun Life. And it enables you to fully protect your family from just £25 a month. And this is their offer to me. Cash if you die, cash if you don't. They don't think I'm that stupid. No, no, no. I'm not going to fall for that one. I might have only got five O-levels, but I'm not going to fall for that one. We all die. But the really galling thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is that we all die regardless of how we've lived. See, look again at verse 2. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean. It bothers us, doesn't it? When tragedy strikes, what do we say? Why did it happen to him? He didn't deserve to die. He lived such a good life. The good and the bad. Oh, when it happens to bad people, well, frankly, they had it coming. But when upright, good, clean, living people are struck down by death. Now, death is always a problem. It's, It's exacerbated when it seems so indiscriminate when it makes no difference how you lived and so we come back to that point what is the point of living an upright life a good life if you're going to go the same way as the one who's been a complete scoundrel all their lives and that verse three is a great evil and renders everything meaningless and so the writer says hang on to life at all costs because verse four anyone who's among the living has hope even a live dog is better off than a dead lion Hang on to life at all costs. Now, Garrett Smythe is a neuroscience student and has taken that to the extreme. In a survey carried out by The Independent about death, he said this, My head will be frozen when I die. At minus 196 degrees, any chemical changes would take millions of years. Almost everything will be curable in time. It's feasible that they may be able to replace organs with something artificial. If I'm old and my organs are knackered, why should I bother taking those with me? I value my life and see death as an adversary. I'm frightened of it as you would be of a a conquerable enemy. Garrett Smythe. He's taken that to the extreme, hasn't he? He's going to go uh, hang on to life at any cost. 4 verse 5, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. 
They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Eventually, and this is quite arresting, isn't it? Eventually, no one will remember you. That's what he's saying. You'll be forgotten. You won't be missed. Of course, you will be initially. Over the past 25 year, 21 years of doing this job, I've taken hundreds of funerals and visited hundreds of bereaved relatives. At death, we miss our loved ones so much. We feel the pain. There's a deep, aching void, but eventually verse 5 becomes true. I realized this a few months ago when my brother and I cleared out my mum's house last year following her death. We came across loads of photos. It was wonderful looking at the photo of mum and dad, reminding us of Christmases and birthdays, holidays and the first days at school. It was great. It was really cathartic doing that. But as we looked through the photos, we came across pictures of people we didn't know. We presumed they were our parents, grandparents and great-grandparents, but we didn't know. We didn't know their names or anything about them. We certainly didn't miss them. And so in time, verse 5, even the memory of them is forgotten. And verse 6, their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. And so in the light of death, in this life, if this life is all that we have, then get as much out of life as you can, he says, verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in in life in your toilsome labor under the sun. See what he's saying there in verses 7 to 9? He says, look, life is rich and satisfying and enjoyable. Life's experiences are good and worthwhile and memorable. So enjoy good meals, verse 7. Fine wine and good cuisine. Verse 8, treat yourselves to luxuries. Anoint your head with oil. Go on, ladies, splash out on that rather expensive perfume. Verse 9, make the most of relationships in life. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Take time off. Have that weekend break at a posh hotel that you've been meaning to have for so long. Throw yourself heart and soul into whatever you're doing, he says. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Enjoy life while you can. Because you're going to die. Make the most of life, because we all have a common destiny. We'll all end up in a six, sit in a box six feet under. And the thing is, we don't know when that will happen. It's not as even, even if we can plan it, because life is so random. Look at verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift. So the 33 to 1 outsider, countrywide flame, wins the JCB triumph hurdle at Cheltenham last week. Don't ask me how I know that. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. The fourth-ranked tennis player in the world, Andy Murray, loses at Indian Wells last week to Guillermo Garcia Lopez, ranked number 92 in the world. Verse 11, the race is not to the strong or the battle uh, to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Life is random, it seems. So those who are often the most brilliant just don't get the breaks. They never get recognized. And verse 12, no man knows when his hour will come. For Fabrice Muamba, it was almost last Saturday in the middle of a football match. 
For two men, it was this Saturday on the M5 motorway in thick fog on a coach that broke down on the way to work. That's verse 12. No one knows when his hour will come. And look what he goes on to say. We're as fish caught in a cruel net or birds taken in a snare. So men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. (laughs) It's horrible to think like that, but that's what he's saying. We're just like little fish swimming along in the big ocean blue when suddenly and quite unexpectedly out of the blue, a cruel net catches us. And in in an instant, the happy little fish that had been minding its own business becomes the dead little fish, fried, lying next to a portion of chips and wrapped in newspaper. It's funny, until you remember, we're not talking about little fish. It's precious human beings who are, verse 12, trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Recession claims our job, reduces the price of our property. In no time we're in negative equity and financial ruin, caught in the cruel net, trapped by evil times. Out of the blue, illness or accident strike us down. When he was in his early 20s, my cousin was playing rugby. The scrum collapsed and he couldn't move. He couldn't move, not just because the scrum was on him. He couldn't move anything. In that moment, quite unexpectedly, his neck had been broken and the rest of his life had been lived in a wheelchair. Friends of mine, Fraser and Lynn, had been married six months when Lynn received a phone call to say that Fraser had been involved in a road traffic accident. When she got to the hospital, she was told that Fraser had been pronounced dead at the scene. Verse 12, no one knows when his hour will come. No one knows when it will come and no one can avoid death. The same destiny overtakes all. Upright or wicked, good or bad, clean living or those who play dirty, death gets us all and it all seems so arbitrary. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Well, it all seems so arbitrary until we look more closely at verse 3. See, he says, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts. The hearts of men are full of evil. When we look at that, we realise it's not as random as it seems. Here is why death comes. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God said that when we do not follow his ways, we will surely die. Towards the end of the Bible, we read, the wages of sin is death. Sin results in death. And so death is not as arbitrary as we think. We all die because we all sin. And as I read verse 3, I have to hold my hands up and say, I've been found out my heart is, is full of evil. Evil might sound like a strong word in the Bible. It's simply this, rebelling against the God who made us, the one who gives us every breath we take. Because, of course, that is the ultimate evil, the one who gives me everything I, I push out. Cutting God out of the equation, living as if he were not there, living my life my way as if I knew better. Well, that's me. It was 29 years ago, 29 years ago to the day, on the 25th of March, 1983, that I became a Christian. And there are two big reasons why I became a Christian. The first was this issue of death, this very issue of death. I realised, and had been thinking about it for some months, I realised that I was going to die, and like the footballer Benoe Yasuo and like the comedian Woody Allen, I was scared. I didn't want to die. I was 20. I had the rest of my life ahead of me, but I knew this could happen. My, some of my friends had died. 
I didn't want to die and there was nothing I could do about it. And secondly, I, I was very aware that I was not the person that God wanted me to be. I wasn't even the person that I wanted to be, never mind that what God wanted to be. Oh, I'd never been in trouble with the police. I, I had a good job. I paid my taxes. But one day I faced up to how I really was. Again, it really happened over a period of time. But one day it really hit me. And I didn't like what I saw. I looked at the way I treated those I loved the most. And it, and it wasn't impressive. wasn't impressive at all. When I was thinking all this through, my mum said to me, you treat this house like a hotel. She must have said it a hundred times before, but that day it hit me like a ton of bricks. She was right, I did. I was selfish. I took her and others for granted. And in the weeks and months that followed, even though I tried to change, and I really did try to change, I couldn't. Couldn't do it. And I knew then that uh, I wasn't in any fit state to face my God when I died, which I was scared of. And so like those who've been baptised today and those who've renewed their baptism vows, I turned to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he could solve those two problems of death and sin. For as we come to a close, two things Jesus said. Jesus said this, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Talking about his death on a cross, Jesus said that he died for his people. See, unlike us, Jesus never did any wrong. There was no wickedness, no evil, no sin in his life. He didn't deserve to die. But he loves his people so much that he took the punishment of death upon himself so that we could be forgiven. That's what this baptism service has pointed to. The water is symbolic of the death of Jesus. Through Jesus' death, we can be washed clean, forgiven for all the sin in our lives. That's what these good folk understand isn't it wonderful can you imagine that all those things you're ashamed of all that stuff in your life that maybe no one else knows about but you know about it even the stuff that people do know about all the times that you've stuffed up all the relationships that you've wrecked all the words that have hurt other people all those things forgiven wiped clean washed no side of them ever again before your god that's what this baptism service is about that's what the glorious gospel is about and then listen to these words. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus promised eternal life, life beyond the grave for everyone who puts their trust in him. And, and you know, anybody can say that, but these are not empty words. For moments later, he went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, who was already smelling of death, and he raised him from death. And more importantly, as we'll be celebrating in two weeks' time on Easter Sunday, Jesus himself, having been executed on a cross, dead and buried, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he can give life beyond the grave. Dan said it. You can look into it. You can investigate it. And you can see that there is good evidence for Jesus' resurrection. And again, this baptism service has been pointing to that. As those baptised went into the water, symbolically they were dying to living for themselves and they came out of the water. As they came out, they were rising to new life. It was a symbol, a symbol of what Jesus has done for them. New life that begins with Jesus now, but that will be fully enjoyed beyond death in eternity forever. Isn't it wonderful? The events at White Hart Lane last Saturday tell us that death can come at any time to anyone. A young man, 
fit athlete. Events of yesterday, the coach crash on the M5, tells us it can come to anyone. People off to work. Got up on a Saturday morning like they had every Saturday morning. Two of them are now dead. And so, you see, those who've been baptised this evening have made the best decision anyone can ever make, ever, about anything in the whole of life. They know, and many of us here know, that Jesus is the only one who can bring forgiveness, deal with death, and guarantee eternal life. No one else can do that. Who else has died for your sin? Who else has risen from the dead? No one. And so I want to ask you uh, this evening, why wouldn't you want to do the same? Turn to the Lord Jesus. Know that the past is wiped clean and the future is certain. If you know that you have no answer to death, and if you recognise that you are in no fit state to stand before your God when you die, then why would you not want to turn to Jesus as your Lord and Rescuer? Well, I'm going to pray a prayer now because I think there'll be some people here who say, yeah, I do want to do that. There'll be some here who say, I'd be, I'd be really quite foolish not to. That is such a good offer, much better than the uh, Sun Life Assurance offer. I want to take that. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. Before I pray, I'm going to read it because uh, if this is what you want to do, uh, then you'll want to know what I'm going to pray and then you can pray it along with me. It goes like this. It says, Lord God, I'm sorry that I've not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I understand now who Jesus is and why he died. I know that I don't deserve it, but because of Jesus' death on a cross for me, I ask you to forgive me. From now on, please give me the desire to obey you and help me to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. That's the prayer. Now, for some here, that's not right to pray. You're interested in these things, but you're not ready yet. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's some people here are saying, yeah, I want that. So I'm going to pray this prayer line by line. And if that's you, then you can just echo it in your, in your heart, in your head. And God will hear it because he hears everything. Um, and then you can tell me afterwards if you've prayed this prayer. Well, let's pray now. So here's the prayer. Feel that you can pray along if you want to. Lord God. I'm sorry that I've not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I understand now who Jesus is and why he died. I know that I do not deserve it. But because of Jesus' death on a cross for me, I ask you to forgive me. From now on, please give me the desire to obey you and help me to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, If you've just prayed that prayer along with me for the first time, uh, would you tell me on the way out? I'll be standing at the door over there. Uh, Andrew will be standing on the door over there, but I'll be standing over there. Just say, I prayed that prayer, and I'd love to give you a booklet. Uh, just so that you can um, think some more about these things and think about how you begin the Christian life, just the beginning. For me, 29 years ago, it's not all easy. 
but I don't regret it for one minute.